Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to Psalms 85. And I just got word in my little microphone in my ear that I'm supposed to preach until they get through cooking. So so I, I got this little thing going on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Some of y'all like that. They just said, preach until the hamburgers are ready. There ain't no sense in y'all sitting out there not eating. Let's eat on the word today for a little bit. Now nah, I'm just playing. We're going to work on this, and we're going to work real fast. This is, I'm just kicking something off today really because it's the 4th of July, but uh, I'm probably really going to go into it come the latter part of July and August. I'll start talking about a little bit more of our theme here in just a moment when I tell you what it is. But go with me to Psalms 85. Psalms 85. Oh, by the way, are you still working on your, your uh, Advance the Calls offering? Are you still doing that? Amen. We just got some new signs out there. Did y'all see the new signs when you came in of the church facilities, the new building and all that? Y'all see that? We're excited about that. Psalms 85, verse number 1 says, O Lord, you showed favor to your land. You restored the captivity of Jacob and you forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your fury. You turned away from your burning anger. Verse number four, restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Verse number six, will you not revive, will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation, and I will hear what God, the Lord, will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones, but let them not turn back to folly. Come on, America, don't turn back to craziness. Verse number nine, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in your land. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth, this is powerful, truth springs from the earth. I'm believing the day when truth will rise in our nation again. And righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its produce. Righteousness will go before him, and he will make his footsteps into a way. I want to draw your attention back once again to verse number six, and this is where I want to go today. Will you not yourself revive us again? That word revive literally means to bring us back to life again. Lord, revive us again. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse number 2 says, revive your works in the midst of our years. I want to talk to you just for a few minutes today. Revive us again. Push on about three people and tell them we need a revival again. Come on, just tell them we need a revival again. Come on, will you just prophesy about three or four people around you and tell them we need a revival. Come on, where are the hungry folks for revival? Lord, revive us again. Revive us again. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you this morning.
for what you're going to do. Lord, I just give you all the praise and the glory and the honor in advance. Lord, we thank you for those that have tuned in by social media. Thank you for those that have gathered in this building today. Lord, we just thank you over the next few moments, Lord, as we just come together over the word of God. We thank you for what you're going to do in our midst. And we give you all the glory, all the honor, and the praise in advance now. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And everybody together said amen. Amen and amen. Thank you this morning. You may be seated. If, if you will just maybe allow me, I'm going to try to set something up for about five or six minutes here, and I'm going to take us down a historical memory lane to kind of show you where our nation is and how our nation began to be what it was many years ago. And I want us to move us to a place where I believe the Spirit of God is going to be released over this house like nobody's business. Amen. All over our nation today, as we all know it, people are gathering together to celebrate the 245th birthday of our nation. Our nation is 245 years old. America has been a nation that was birthed and based on liberty, responsibility, and the covenant of God. America was a nation that was birthed for its freedoms so that we could be what God called us to be, and do what God called us to do. The celebration of our nation's birthday is really a celebration about freedom. And how many know that Jesus is the ultimate liberator? Galatians 5.1 says, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, do not return again to the yoke of bondage or slavery. Jesus is the great liberator. And this freedom in our nation over the years has come, as we all know it, as a, at a very high price. Some of it in many peoples and generations before us, it cost them their time, their commitment, their loyalty. And for some of them, it cost them their very life. And I don't know about you, but I thank God for the men and women who made our nation what it is today. So, what are we celebrating today? The 4th of July. It's a, it's a holiday. It's our nation's holiday. It's our nation's birthday. So what are we really celebrating today? Here's a few thoughts that I'm going to work with you just for a few minutes on. The truth is, if we were given an accurate history of our nation, we would know that we are a nation that was founded on Judeo-Christian ethics, Judeo-Christian principles. We are a nation that was literally founded on the Bible. We are a nation that was established straight out from the Word of God. We are a God-based nation at our very roots. Where's all my amens in here? That, that's how our nation was started. That's how our nation was formed. And it's safe to say that the Christian faith, in our nation has been involved in every aspect of our nation's beginnings. The Christian faith, not other faith. It's the Christian faith that has been involved, been involved in every aspect of our nation's beginnings. Let me just give you a few things here. In 1504, Christopher Columbus wrote this in his journal. When, and one of the reasons why he set out to discover new land, he said this, and this will be on the screen. He said, I was led of the Holy Spirit to carry the message of the gospel to undiscovered lands. That's what Christopher Columbus said. 
Even when the first pilgrims who came to Plymouth Rock on the Mayflower, when they landed, they formed what is called the Mayflower Compact in 1620. How many remember some of that history? Three of us, because they don't teach it no more. But when they landed, they, they formed together what they call the Mayflower Compact in 1620. And these are some of the words of the Mayflower Compact. It says, in the name of God, amen, having undertaken for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith, do solemnly and mutually in the presence of God covenant and combine ourselves together. Notice that they came together to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our nation was formed as a nation for the sole purpose of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then 23 years later, when more and more people began to arrive on the shores of New England, the Puritans formed what they called the Confederation. It's called the New England Confederation, which was the first written constitution by people who were meeting together in 1643. Just track with me. I'm not going to bore you with all this history, but I'm going to make a point here in a minute. The New England Confederation Constitution says it this way. Whereas we all came into these parts with and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and, in to, jo and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and peace. Notice that they came here to enjoy the liberties of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to advance the cause of Jesus Christ into our land. That's the reason why our nation was formed. I'm just trying to help you understand. It, it, it's, not, it's not just about a holiday and a day off, and, and, and we celebrate those things and thank God for it. But our nation was formed. America was formed so that we could advance the gospel, so that we could advance the power of the cross, so that we could advance the purpose of Jesus Christ of ever coming to the planet. The reason why I'm saying all this is because America was founded by men and women who has acknowledged God as the supreme ruler over their lives. The Puritans began to realize that they could not worship God the way that they wanted to in England, so they decided to come to what we know as America for the purpose of showing us how a nation could prosper when it lives under the laws of God. They begin to demonstrate to the known world that when a nation is submitted to God, when a nation is committed to God, that nation could flourish under the providence of God and under the sovereignty of God and be the most blessed nation in the world. 245 years later, ladies and gentlemen, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, America is one of the most blessed nations in the world, and we're one of the youngest nations in the world. It's because when the people came, they didn't come just to seek rescue from tyranny. They came to worship God. They came to worship him in public. They came to worship him without the threats of being arrested. And can I just tell you what the modern day church is missing in America? We don't worship God like we're really free. And we got to get back to a place where we begin to understand it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom. 
John Quincy Adams, who became the sixth president of the United States later in 1821, he wrote this about the Declaration of Independence. He said this, from the time of the Declaration of Independence, the American people were bound by the laws of God and the laws of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we all acknowledge as the root of their conduct, and we all came together to obey the word of God. How powerful is that? When, when these people came to America to make our nation what it is, they didn't just come just to be a gathering or a group or a club. They came to advance the cause of Christ into the earth that the gospel would spread to the four corners of the world and exalt Jesus Christ as that name that's above every other name. Yeah. Hallelujah. Patrick Henry said this. This will be a quote as well. He said, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists but by Christians, not on religion but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you think about America, you need to know that America was founded not by a bunch of people gathering together who had a religion. It was founded by people who understood that there is a gospel that's different than any other word. There is a gospel that's different than any other form or formality of religious things. But there is a Christ at the center of the gospel, and America was formed so that we could worship Jesus Christ. Woo! Even President Thomas Jefferson in an address to the Danbury Baptist Association when he was dealing with the separation of church and state, he said this. This will be a quote for you. He said, the First Amendment has created the wall of separation between church and state, but that wall is, one, is a one-directional wall. Watch this. It keeps the government from running the church, but it makes sure that Christian principles will always stay in government. Hallelujah. So when all this stuff in our land over Corona began and there was government overreach, government oppression, thank God that some churches and thank God this church, thank God that this church says we will not be ruled by a government that says we can't worship God when we want to worship God because we have a right to assemble. We have a right to peaceful protest. And ladies and gentlemen, when I, I'm just trying to tell you, if we lose these principles, if we lose the foundations of our land, we'll keep celebrating the 4th of July, but it will have no merit. It will have no lasting impact because the reason why America was formed so that we could release that name, Jesus Christ, and we could take the gospel to the four corners. That's why we exist. Jefferson wrote on the front of his Bibles, he said, I am a Christian. That is to say, I'm a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus. He says, I have little doubt that our whole country will soon be rallied to the unity of our creator, and I hope that the pure doctrine of Jesus will be rallied around. Jesus Christ. Benjamin Franklin, during the First Continental Congress, he was discussing, they were all discussing, and they were debating about the Declaration of Independence and how it would be written. He stood up and he said, he said this, this is when they were all gathered. They were trying to write it. He said, gentlemen, if it is true that not one single petal from any flower falls to the ground without escaping God's attention, will the distress of this nation go unheeded? Let us therefore determine to seek his face. And at that moment, 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence dropped to their knees and they began to seek God for his wisdom. Our nation was not formed out of an idea. 
it was formed out of the wisdom of God. And do you understand today that there is a high price for that wisdom? There was a high price for those 56 signers of the Declaration of the Independence. Five of them were captured and tortured by the British, and they eventually died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned to the ground. Two of them lost their sons in the American Revolution. One had two sons captured in the war for independence. Nine fought and died with wounds from the war. There's a guy by the name of Carter Braxton. He was a wealthy Virginia trader. He saw his ship destroyed, and he had to sell his home to pay his debts, and he died in poverty. He was a signer. Thomas McKean, who had, who had constantly had to constantly move his family because of the harassment from the British. He served in Congress without pay. Imagine that. And he died in poverty. These were the signers of the Declaration of Independence that we get to enjoy the freedoms from. Thomas Nelson told General Washington, you need to destroy your home because when it's overtaken by the British, they're going to use it as a command post. And he died bankrupt. 53 out of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were professing born-again Christians. Yeah. I'm about to preach. I'm about to get there. I got a few minutes left. Do you realize in 1782 that the Congress of the United States, the Congress, our Congress of the United States in 1782, recommends and approved that the Bible be used in all public schools. What a thought. What a thought. When you begin to think about the role of the Christian church and the role of church leaders that played in the early days of America, it's astounding. A preacher by the name of Francis Bellamy, he was the one who wrote the Pledge of Allegiance. A preacher by the name of Samuel Smith wrote the hymn, My Country, Tis of Thee. There was a preacher named John Leland who wrote the introduction to the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. Prior to the Civil War, understand this today, prior to the Civil War, 90% of all American colleges were presidents who were preachers of the gospel. I'm talking about Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Brown, Dartmouth, William and Mary, and Columbia were founded by Christian preachers and church affiliations with the express intent to educate young people for Jesus Christ. Wow. That's how they were founded. Since then to today, our colleges have become indoctrination centers, teaching people how to hate America, teaching people how to not believe in a God. And, and I, I say this all the time. You, just, you better know that if your children don't have a strong biblical foundation in them and you send them to college, they're going to be talked out of their faith because you're going to throw them into a hostile world that's against their faith and they will be talked out of it and they will become a stat. They will become the norm of society. John Harvard, the guy that founded Harvard, he was a pastor in Charleston, Massachusetts. He said this. This, was, this is the reason why he started it. 
He said that every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main ends of his life and studies, to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the foundation of all knowledge and learning, and see that the Lord is the only, and that the Lord only giveth wisdom, to let everyone seriously set themselves by prayer in secret to seek Christ as Lord and Master. That's the founder of Harvard University. It does not look like that today. In fact, the seal, it's still there on the seal of the Harvard University. The seal is still there. It says, truth for Christ and the church. It's still there, but it's not practiced. How far we have fallen. And despite what the politicians are saying, in spite of what the media is doing and revisionists are saying, America was not founded on the concept of freedom to worship any God. America was founded on the concept to worship the one and only true God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was not founded to worship Allah. It was not founded to worship Buddha. It was not founded to worship Scientology. It was not founded to worship white magic, black magic. It was founded on the principles of Jesus Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, you want to know why we need revival again? Because we need America to be good again. We need America to be powerful again. And it will never be powerful no matter who's in the Washington, no matter who's in the White House. America will only be powerful when the church is revived and we begin to influence every part of society with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, if you believe that, shout yes. Come on, if you believe it, shout yes. That's the only way and the only reason America will ever become great again. I am just, I have been all through the, of the strings of everything that's been thrown at me and attached. But ladies and gentlemen, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. America is not great because of a president. America is not even great because of a congress. America is great because men and women love Jesus Christ higher than any other thing on this planet. That's why America is great, because you had the early church fathers who would lay down their life because they believed in a cause. They believed in something to die for. And here we are now, 245 years later, and our nation has been weakened. And it's not just because of a president. It's been weakened because the church has not functioned at its highest priority. But I'm believing God for a revival. I'm believing God for an outpouring and the move of the Holy Spirit that begins to walk into universities and campuses and colleges and schools, walks into neighborhoods and job sites and begins to turn it around for the glory of God. I believe we can be that generation. I believe we can be that people. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it to the core of my being. I just believe God wants to bless our nation again. Revive us again, oh God. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Psalms 33.12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. I just want you to understand, I don't care how sophisticated we become as an American citizens. 
I don't care how educated we become. I don't care how much we run up the, 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 the level of degrees. Our nation will only be blessed when the Lord is God over this nation. Because if America be, could be blessed by just wisdom, if America just could be blessed by education, we would be at the top of the food chain. But our nation does not get blessed that way. Our nation gets blessed when we make God the supreme sovereign monarch of our lives and of our land. He said, I will revive your land. I will restore your land that my glory may dwell in it. There was a French political philosopher. He was a diplomat. He was a political scientist and a historian. His name was Alexis Decatouville, something like that. He came to visit our shores to learn the secret which enabled a handful of people to defeat the British army. He traveled all across the vast land from shore to shore looking for the greatness in our harbors. He was looking for the greatness in our rivers. He was looking for the greatness in our fertile fields, in our boundless forests. He began to study our schools. He studied our military. He began to study our Congress and our Constitution, but he still could not find the secret of what made America so powerful. It wasn't until he went into the churches, and when he went into the churches and he heard from the pulpits flames of righteousness being preached from the pulpit. He began to discover his answer. His answer went all the way back to Europe. And he wrote this in his message to the European authorities. He said, America is great because America is good. And if America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. What made America good was not the university in the fertile fields. What made America powerful was when the pulpits of America was preaching about the righteousness of a holy God. And people moved out of fear and conviction. And they began to respond to a holy word. And their morality and their conduct was changed forever. And that's what makes America great. Ladies and gentlemen, we are celebrating 245 years of an amazing nation. But I just believe God wants to take it a little further. I just believe God wants to dip into the hearts of his churches again and say let revival fire come back into the house of God where people are excited about the things of God where people are enthused about coming into the house of the Lord to the point that when they get to the marketplace when they get to their place of assignment they are burning, blazing with the glory of God and people come to them what must I do to be saved? It's what we need it's what our nation needs Dietrich Baumhofer said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. I refuse to be silent in a world that's going to hell. I refuse to compromise my convictions just because woke mob, woke crowd, 
woke mentalities. I refuse to trade in just because it's the mainstream of media. I refuse to trade my convictions just because everybody's doing it. I don't care if they try to cancel me. You can't cancel this gospel. You can't cancel this fire. You can throw wet blankets on it all you want to, but my fire is not external. My fire is internal, and as long as my fire stays burning, my witness stays powerful, and as long as my witness stays powerful, there is hope for a nation. There's hope for the world. I'm praying that the day will come, even in my generation, that my eyes will see the movements of God in our nation again, where men will fear God again. There will be a holy fear as it relates to the things of God. Not as I'm scared of God, but but a holy reverence that he's God and he's God all by himself. Just so that you know the churches. Because this is a big deal in our community, in our society today. Churches didn't wander over into politics. Politics invaded the church. We didn't go into their yard. They came into our yard. They was the one that jumped the fence. You have to know something today. The churches did not spiritualize politics. Politics politicized spirituality. We're living in a day where everything gets spiritual. You can't even watch sports without it being politically motivated. Because everything is politically charged. So now they want the church to stay quiet. They want the church to remain silent. Because we got the woke mob, right? We got woke culture, right? Where everything is accepted. Where it might be accepted in your sinful world but it's not accepted in the eyes of a holy God. And the church does not need to trade its convictions just because the whole world is going one way. I'm going to find somebody to preach to for about three minutes and I'm out of here. We, we don't need to be following this, the drumbeat of the world just so that we can fit into it. The church has to be distinct. The reason why that French philosopher could find the answer to what made America great, it was not in our institutions. It was not in our military. It was not in our Congress. But it was in the hallways of the church where men and women had a heart that was on fire for the things of God. God, let us be revived again. Revive us again, oh God. When you obey an evil law, you are at odds with a divine law. And I've watched it. Y'all have too. We all have. We watched people get upset with preachers, believers, because we kept lifting our voice, because we were fighting for what God wanted, not what we desired. Politics have turned into a weapon for suppression. You need to know that today. Your allegiance cannot be to your government. And I thank God for government. God instituted it. But my allegiance is not to my government, and my allegiance is not to a party. Come on, when the church begins to understand, I'm not, I'm not Republican, I'm not Democrat, I'm born again. I'm born again. My allegiance is to the Lord first and foremost. The political policies of our day, you have to understand, I'm about to close, is at war with Christianity. It's at war with it. The reason why the churches need to keep 
talking, speaking up, and coming alive. It's because the sanctity of marriage between one man and one woman is the way of God. You know, it's popular to be a lesbian. It's popular to be gay. Our young people, it's running rampant in our youth culture because it's popular, but it's not right. It's not right. So the church has to keep firing back. And we have to let a society know that is not right. You were created in the image of God. God created them, male and female. He didn't create it. God didn't create you to be confused. Your environment, your upbringing, your relationships may have confused you. But God did not create you to be confused. Let me help you. If you're confused, you have certain body parts that the other gender does not have. That settles the fact of confusion. You are male or female. And when you try to change it, you alter the beauty of why God made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the eyes of God. There's nobody like you on this planet. 7.4 billion people. Nobody has your fingerprint. Nobody has your retina scan. Nobody has your voice print. You are so uniquely designed that there is no comparison with you in all the world. That's why the church has to lift their voice. We got to lift our voice to protect the unborn. Abortion is murder. And there's people in here that even under the sound of my voice. We've had to walk through that with many people in our church. And thank God that there is restoration on the other side of abortion. There's a restoration that God will restore. But ladies and gentlemen, we cannot accept it as the norm because it's not. There's a bunch. I could preach all of it. Being a friend to Israel. <laughs> the right to assemble. Don't tell us you're going to shut us down. Don't make me pull out my black robe regiment coat. <laughs> we will assemble. Don't tell me that normalizing pedophilia is natural. Don't tell me that. It's not natural. Injustices with no reform is not natural. Hmm? dressing up a bunch of hairy men in a woman's dress and putting them in the library and letting them read to our children. It's not normal. Neither is it acceptable. And neither is Netflix exploiting our children, exploiting our children. That's not normal and that's not accepted. I'm going to fight back. I'm going to push back. I'm going to lift my voice because what made America blessed was not the halls of Congress. What made it blessed was the church had a voice in the midst of society and we were willing to live out our faith and live it out loud. God, revive us again. Just so you'll know, and I'm going to quit here because I see guys coming in, the hamburgers, are, Jesse's about ready to flip the last burger. <laughs> this will be on the screen. God is not trying to get us to reclaim the culture. He's trying to reclaim the church. Because the church will influence the culture. The culture is the product of society. 
And when the church is set on fire, we'll set the culture on fire. My job is not to change the culture. My job is to get the church lit again. Woo! Martin Luther, he said that, that great theologian of the 16th century, he said, though we be active in battle, if we are not fighting where the battle is the hottest, we are traitors to the cause. Come on, if there's going, if there's going to be a fight in our territory, then we're going to rise up and fight because we believe revival can come. Amen. Amen. I'm going to quit right here. I'm not done, but I'm going to quit. Lord of mercy. I feel like preaching. I got some good stuff here. There has to be a remnant that rises. You have to know that it's not, the gospel is not what can we do for Jesus. The gospel is what Jesus did for us. And there's a generation of Christians under the sound of my voice that need to know, you have to know this, social justice, even at its best, is not the gospel. I knew that would get you right there. Because you've been indoctrinated with social justice. Social justice is not the gospel. Jesus Christ is the gospel. And we got a generation with so many shifting values. And now, if we're not careful, progressive Christianity believes that evangelical churches like ours, they're telling us we're toxic. We're filled with racial injustice, sexism, Islamophobia, and shaming judgmentalism. Their goal is to rid the attitude and the ideas that cultivate a more compassionate, inclusive, and culturally relevant form of Christianity. Social justice is not the answer to society. And I thank God for social things that we should be involved in, the church. But social warriors, social justice warriors, will never bring redemption to a fallen world. We have to be careful that we don't keep surrendering ground to the viewpoints of progressive Christianity. All throughout our nation's history, Pastor Porter, you guys can come if you like. All throughout our nation's history, from the beginning of our nation, just so that you know that God was on our side, God always intervened at strategic moments. He was there. His protection over our nation was there during the Revolutionary War. Strategic moments in the life of our nation. God was there with our troops in Valley Forge. Supernatural deliverance and victories begin to take place. In 1944, D-Day, on the beaches of Normandy, God was with our troops as they fought for the independence of freedom and liberty for the world. God was there. America did not achieve these victories apart from God. In fact, if I had the time, I could give you quote after quote of generals in war times from the beginning up till recently who have called upon the name of the Lord, who have bowed their knee and say, God, we cannot win this victory without your help. But what it takes in our day for the church to rise 
And for revival to come, it's going to take courage. It's going to take a lot of courage. I mean, remember the movie Braveheart? Remember that? William Wallace, Mel Gibson, William Wallace. One of the best movies ever made, you know. William Wallace said a statement in that movie. He said, men don't follow titles. Men follow courage. Can you imagine if the church would get some courage? The world would follow the courage of the church, and we would press back on darkness. We would press back on principalities and powers. Even when, 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 when our nation was at its worst time in wartime there, and the Star Spangled Banner was written. Y'all got time for just one little video? The, the hamburger, they hadn't gave me the signal yet. I'm telling you, they're still burning. They're right out there. They hadn't gave me the signal. So I got just a few minutes. I want to show you this video. I want to just show you how powerful, how the Star Spangled Banner came out of being in the midst of a hopeless situation because God was with this nation. Guys in the back, why don't you help me out? Let's, let's roll it. There was a lawyer once. His name was Francis Scott Key. He penned a song that I'm sure you're aware of. You've seen it. It's in most hymnals throughout our churches. It's called the National Anthem. It is our song as an American. We go, however, to a ball game. We stand in our church services and we sing the words of that song. And they float over our minds and our lips and we don't even realize what we're singing. Most of us have memorized it as a child, but we've never really thought about what it means. Let me tell you a story. Francis Scott Key was a lawyer in Baltimore. The colonies were engaged in vicious conflict with the mother country, Britain. Because of this conflict and the protractedness of it, they had accumulated prisoners on both sides. The American colonies had prisoners and the British had prisoners. And the American government initiated a move. They went to the British and they said, let us negotiate for the release of these prisoners. They said, we want to send a man out to discuss this with you. They were holding the American prisoners in boats about a thousand yards offshore. And they said, we want to send a man by the name of Francis Scott Key. He will come out and negotiate to see if we can make a mutual exchange. On the appointed day in a rowboat, he went out to this boat and he negotiated with the British officials. And they reached a conclusion that men could be exchanged on a one-for-one -one basis. Francis Scott Key, jubilant with the fact that he'd been successful, went down below in the boats, and what he found was a cargo hold full of humanity, men. And he said, men, I've got news for you tonight. You're free. He said, tonight I have negotiated successfully your return to the colonies. He said, you'll be taken out of this boat, out of this filth, out of your chains. As he went back up on board to arrange for their passage to the shore, the admiral came and he said, we have a slight problem. He said, we will still honor our commitment to release these men, but it'll be merely academic after tonight. It won't matter. And Francis Scott Key said, what do you mean? He said, well, Mr. Key, he said, tonight we have laid an ultimatum upon the colonies. Your people will either capitulate and lay down the colors of that flag that you think so much of, or you see that fort right over there, Fort Henry? He said, we're going to remove it from the face of the earth. He said, how are you going to do that? 
He said, if you will, scan the horizon of the sea. And as he looked, he could see hundreds of little dots. And he said, that's the entire British war fleet. He said, all of the gunpowder, all of the armament is being called upon to demolish that fort. It will be here within striking distance in a matter of about two and a half hours. He said, the war is over. These men would be free anyway. He said, you can't shell that fort. He said, that's, that's a large fort. He said, it's full of women and children. He says, it's predominantly not a military fort. He said, don't worry about it. They said, we've left them a way out. And he said, what's that? He said, do you see that flag way up on the rampart? He said, we have told them that if they will lower that flag, the shelling will stop immediately. And we'll know that they've surrendered, and you'll now be under British rule. Francis Scott Key went down below and told the men what was about to happen. And they said, how many ships? He said, hundreds. The ships got closer. Francis Scott Key went back up on top and he said, men, I'll shout down to you what's going on as we watch. As twilight began to fall and as the haze hung over the ocean as it does at sunset, suddenly the British war fleet unleashed. He says the sound was deafening. There were so many guns that there were no reliefs. He said it was absolutely impossible to talk or hear. He said suddenly the sky, although dark, was suddenly lit. And he says from down below, all he could hear the men, the prisoners, saying was, Tell us where the flag is. What have they done with the flag? Is the flag still flying over the rampart? Tell us. One hour, two hours, three hours into the shelling. Every time the bomb would explode and it would be close to the flag, they could see the flag in the illuminated red glare of that bomb. And Francis Scott Key would report down to the men below, it's still up. It's not down. The admiral came and he said, your people are insane. He said, what's the matter with them? He said, don't they understand this is an impossible situation? Francis Scott Key said he remembered what George Washington had said. He said, the thing that sets the American Christian apart from all other people in the world is he will die on his feet before he'll live on his knees. The Admiral said, we have now instructed all of the guns to focus on the rampart to take that flag down. He said, we don't understand something. Our reconnaissance tells us that that flag has been hit directly again and again and again, and yet it's still flying. We don't understand that. But he said, now we're about to bring every gun for the next three hours to bear on that point. Francis Scott, he said the barrage was unmerciful. All that he could hear was the men down below praying. The prayer. God, keep that flag flying where we last saw it. Sunrise came. He said there was a heavy mist hanging over the land, but the rampart was tall enough. There stood the flag 
completely nondescript in shreds. The flagpole itself was at a crazy angle, but the flag was still at the top. Francis Scott Key went aboard and immediately went into Fort Henry to see what had happened. And what he found had happened was that that flagpole and that flag had suffered repetitious direct hits. And when hit had fallen, but men, fathers, who knew what it meant for that flag to be on the ground, although knowing that all of the British guns were trained on it, walked over and held it up humanly until they died. Their bodies were removed and others took their place. Francis Scott Key said what held that flagpole in place at that unusual angle were patriots' bodies. He penned the song, Oh say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. Or the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that the flag was still there. Oh say, does that star-spangled banner yet fly and wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. The debt was demanded, the price it was paid.
What makes the flag powerful is that it stands for freedom. Freedom can only come through Jesus Christ. He's the great liberator. I don't know about you. I'm glad I live in America. I thank God for my nation. My prayer has been, God bless America again. God bless our nation again. Come on, Pastor Porter. Let's just worship the Lord as we get ready to line up here in just a moment. When the storm clouds gather far across the sea, let us swear allegiance to a land that's free. Let us all be grateful for the land so fair as we raise our voices in a solemn prayer. God bless America. Beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above, from the mountains to the prairies to the ocean, wide with Their country love. 
Christian values and principles can make it that great. Only Christian people who have a heart to extend the gospel of Jesus Christ can keep our nation at what God intended it to be. Amen. One more time, will you just give God praise for this great land? This great land. Amen. Amen and amen. I think that what we're going to do, I want to just dismiss you in prayer, but I think, I'm not even sure, I don't know where all my help is. Are we going out this door, that door? Just go whatever door you feel like going out, it don't matter. Just pick a door, pick a door. Just pick a door and go out whatever door. But everything's out there and just enjoy our time. Everything's going to be over at 2 o'clock, so just get out there with your children, your family. Cross-pollinate, fellowship. Let's enjoy the 4th of July together, amen. Father, we thank you today. Lord, we thank you for our nation. And, Lord, our prayer is revive us. Revive us again. Lord, revive the works of your hands in the midst of our years. Lord, I pray over our fellowship time. I pray over our food time together today, Lord, that you would bless our fellowship and bless our food. And we give you thanks and praise. Thank you for our nation. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for protecting us. Thank you for the flag, which is the symbol of freedom all around the world. When the American flag is raised, people know that it stands for freedom. Lord, we thank you today that we are free in Christ because of a great land. Lord, we love you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Enjoy your time together.